Good morning. Uh, the scripture reading this morning is John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with anointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the, center, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The, di the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, of, of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his, disciples, his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been uh, in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection uh, on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, 
They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. He is risen. Um, that's an amazing uh, passage. I nearly went full suit today, um, but I thought it might be distracting. Just so I'm going to give you a heads up next year, full suit. <laughs> just turn it into a, a real pastor, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> um, if you just look around the room today, you'll notice there's um, a lot of differences in the room, many different uh, shapes and sizes. Uh, some are young, some are older. Um, if you were to go around the room, though, and, and have a conversation with everyone, you'd, you'd notice even more differences, wouldn't you? There's uh, varying personalities and interests and intellects, but there's at least one thing we all have in common, right? There's one thing that, that kind of we all will share in together, mortality. Everyone in this room will one day die. And death is the common denominator of every human on earth. Death is the, the human experience. Uh, we may be traveling on, on kind of various roads, but they all lead to the same destination, don't they? A grave. We, we all one day will face our death. Uh, and our, the cultural moment that we find ourselves in, if at all possible, it's actually pushed that to our focus even more. It's pushed it to the forefront. And um, we've remembered those times in the past two years where you've tuned into the news to see these charts of telling you how many people have died that day, how many people have died this week. Here's a chart showing you how many people we expect to die over the next week or so. And that's just on top of our, our normal, everyday pondering of our deaths. Um, our mortality is something we're, we're faced with daily, isn't it? Um, it's ultimately why some of you go to the gym and diet. Like some of you go for that run, some of you lift those weights to feel healthier, to be healthier, to have a more kind of rigorous, uh, vigorous life. But, but ultimately, it's because one day you're going to die, right? And you don't want that day to come any sooner than it has to. 
Death is a major theme of the Bible as well. Um, the, the Bible, the, the story of the Bible is really about death entering into this world that it was never meant to be. Um, so from the earliest chapters of Genesis, we have this problem that we're faced with, this, this entrance uh, of death into the world. Um, Adam and Eve rebel against God, and because of their rebellion and their sin, which is like passed on to every human uh, sense, uh, we, we now have this, this heartache that we experience. We now have suffering, and we now ultimately face our deaths. And in the, the Bible, there's, there's two kinds of deaths that are talked about, right? There's the, the physical death. Um, that we all one day will face, but then there's this, this even greater, even more serious, more ultimate death, which is uh, a spiritual death. Uh, and, and death in the Bible, it's, it's really connected with separation. That's what it's about, right? And this, this spiritual death, uh, comes, what comes with it is this separation with God. We, we were never meant to be separated from God. We were never meant to, to, to not be united with Him, but because of our sin, this spiritual death has taken place, and we are now separated from Him. That's like the first three chapters of Genesis. And then the rest of the entire Bible is about God taking it upon Himself to deal with that problem of death. He, he promised from the beginning, uh, the first few chapters of Genesis, that, that He would send the solution in the form of a person, in the form of a, a Messiah, a Savior, who would come and reverse this problem of death forever and completely. And this morning, we're going to look at that story. It's a, I, I think it's one of the most powerful, most, most vivid stories that show us God doing just, like, doing just that, reversing our problem of death. Would you pray with me one more time, and then we'll look at the story. Um, Father, we, we want to come before you with humility. Um, Lord, we know uh, in this room, uh, people are here today for uh, a spectrum of reasons. Some people are, are just desperate to be here to, to declare the risen Christ and to worship Him. Some people have maybe been kind of brought along by a friend or family. Some people might be here because they're, they're guilty that they're not here more often. But Lord, we all, we all come before You right now with a common neediness. And we pray that You would uh, open, our, open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see, Lord. Give us ears to hear what you, what you have for us. Show us Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, if you were here last week, you'll, you'll know we were, we were in John chapter 12, and now we're in John chapter 11, so you might be thinking, what, are we going in the wrong direction? Shouldn't we be going towards the, the cross, towards the tomb? Today's Easter. Um, I, I promise you we'll get there, but I thought it'd be helpful this morning to, to kind of stick with Lazarus. Um, and, and kind of give you the prequel to what we looked at last week. Last week we saw the result of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and what that meant for his life. Uh, this morning we're just going to back up and look at what Jesus actually did for him. Um, like I said at the start, death is the, our, our common experience. We're, we're all faced with our death um, every single day. And not only are we faced with our imminent deaths, though, we're, we're faced with the, the experience and the, and the journey towards our deaths. And, and that's called suffering, right? That's, that's the human experience. We are suffering as we make our way towards our deaths. Like, what a powerful, like, good news morning it is. Um, that's your experience, suffering as you make your way towards death. 
Um, and, and so one of the greatest and most frequently asked questions throughout human history is uh, a question every single person in this room will have to uh, kind of struggle to answer, including myself. This is a, a question every Christian will have to struggle to answer. It's a, a question that, that, that non-Christians and those who are opposed to Christianity ask. And the question is, if God is who the Bible says God is, if He is a God of love, if He is a God of compassion and mercy, why does He allow such suffering? Like if you say God has come to bring us deliverance, if He's come to reverse this problem of death and suffering, then why doesn't He just do it? Why doesn't He just deal with the suffering and stop it all? That's a very good question. It's a very important question. And the story today actually starts by helping give us the answer to that difficult question. And so we're going to start by gently and, and, and humbly, because that's always the, the most appropriate way to approach the Lord. Uh, look at the answer this text gives us for that question. And pay attention, because the, the answer the Bible gives us here, we're going to look at kind of three things you see in this, in this text. The love of, of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, and the, the glory, the power of Jesus. But, but the, the, the the, the answer that the Bible gives us for why God doesn't immediately wipe away our suffering, it's based on one central thing, His love. So let's humbly look at the text. Verse 1 says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was, it was Mary anointed, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped His feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus. He was ill. So the sisters sent to him Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Mary, Mary, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So we know from reading the Gospels that, that this is a, a dear family to Jesus. This is some of his closest friends. Jesus uh, loves Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. He loves them dearly. Uh, and Lazarus is sick. He's teetering on the, the very edge of death. So his sisters uh, send a message to Jesus, and that message is, Lord or, or Master, he whom you love is ill. So Jesus loves Lazarus, and he's about to die. But Jesus' response to that message is strange, isn't it? He doesn't respond in the way that we'd expect him to respond to the news of an imminent death of someone he loved. How would you respond to that news? You'd probably say, take me to them, like show me, let's go. And because of what we know about Jesus and the Gospels already, we'd expect that to be his response all the more, right? Like Jesus has shown us that he has the ability, the power to actually heal. He, he, it's, it's hard to count the, the amount of times he, had, he has healed people so far. So we'd expect someone with, with such power, coupled with such love for this person, that, that he would want to rush to him immediately to heal him. But that's not Jesus' response. We're told he stays where he is for two days longer. Jesus, he's, about, he's about a two days journey from, from Bethany, and he, he waits 
for two days before he goes. It's not the reaction we'd expect from him, is it? His dear friend is, is suffering. He's, he's dying. Why doesn't he rush to help him immediately? Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. That's the second time in just a couple of, of verses that we're told Jesus loves Lazarus. So the, the writer here, John, he wants to make that clear. We're, we're not to doubt that fact. Jesus loves this family, which makes verse 6 very puzzling, right? We're told Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and verse 6 says so. Another way to say that is therefore, or because of His love for them, when He heard that Lazarus was ill, He stayed two days longer in the place where He was. He waits for Lazarus to die. He lets Lazarus die. His plan was for, for, to, to allow Lazarus to go through death, to, to allow Mary and Martha to, to grieve losing their dear brother, which was probably the deepest sorrow they've experienced yet in their lives. He lets it happen. But the reason we're told He lets it happen is because He loves them. That's, I don't understand that. that. How can that be? To us, that doesn't make any sense. Well, to, to understand that, we have to read verse 4. Verse 4, we're given the reasoning, we're given the, the framework for Jesus lovingly allowing them to walk through this valley of the shadow of death. Verse 4 says that Jesus says, this illness does not lead to death. It's, it's for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So there in verse 4, Jesus gives us the purpose of the suffering. He gives us the, the outcome of the suffering, which is that the glory of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, would be on display. So let's, let's put the pieces of that puzzle together. Jesus, He hears the news of Lazarus' imminent death, he has divine knowledge and, and understanding of what this death is for, the revelation of God's glory through Jesus. We're told He loves Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, but then He also waits two days, and He, he allows them to walk through this valley of, of suffering and death. And the reason He does all that to kind of put those pieces together is because He loves them. And because He loves them, he, he wants to give them what they most deeply need. And what they most deeply need in this moment is not what we think they most deeply need, which is for Him to rush off immediately and, and, and take away their suffering, to not allow Lazarus to die, to not allow Mary and Martha to go through that suffering. But, but that's not what, what, what Jesus thinks they most deeply need. What they most deeply need is to see and to behold and to receive the glory of God through Him. That's what He wants to give them because He loves them. We don't understand the things of this life, do we? There's things we, we just can't wrap our, our minds around. The prophet Isaiah tells us that God says, my, my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
My ways are not your ways. His, his timing is not our timing. We don't understand what he understands. We don't see the, the whole picture the way God sees the whole picture. But what this passage in John 11 is trying to tell us is we can be certain that Jesus loves us and that he is working to give us exactly what we most deeply need, which is himself. I'm not saying that's an easy journey to go through. It's an easy thing to receive. It wasn't easy for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, was it? Very often, it looks like what Mary and Martha went through. They came to Jesus and they said, where have you been? If only you were here. And we've talked about this. You know that this has been the experience of our family quite a few times over the last year. Um, there was a period when Jenny was in the hospital for nearly a month, uh, experiencing immense suffering. And there were nights when, after I put the kids to bed, all I could do was, was be on the, the, the living room floor, crying out to God, where are you? Do you not hear our prayers? Why aren't you responding? Why are you silent? Those were like verbatim, my prayers. And, and those prayers, those kind of cries, they're, they're good and they're okay. Like read, read the, the Psalms, so many of the Psalms. So the, the, the entire book of Lamentations are these, these prayers that, that God gives us to, to help us journey through wondering why God is allowing this to happen. But let me tell you, through it all, at least, at least on the other side, looking back, it's He's saying, I love you. And I'm here and I'm trying to give you exactly what you need most deeply. And sometimes that does come in the form of temporary relief of suffering. Sometimes it's not. But always, always His goal is to give you what you most deeply need, which is to behold the glory of God through the Son, Jesus. And He loves you, and He wants to give you that. It's, it's actually why He came to earth. It's the entire purpose of, of Christ leaving the glory of heaven and entering into our darkness, entering into our sadness, and, and coming to earth. He, he came to give us what we most deeply need. That's what you see at the beginning of John's gospel. In chapter one is the, the Son of God, that this word that has no beginning and has no end, this, this eternal word of God puts on flesh and he dwells among us. And John says, in him we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 16 he says, for from his fullness we have all received what? Grace upon grace. As sinners desperately separated from God because of our sin, what we most deeply need is grace from God. And John says we receive that grace upon grace when we behold the fullness of God's glory displayed, made manifest in His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus has in store for Lazarus and Mary and Martha here. Through this suffering, he wants to reveal himself to them because that's what they most deeply need. 
And I'll be honest with you, I've struggled with that this week. It's a, it's a difficult message to, to actually get across correctly because I know some of the suffering that some of you are going through. And I know how, how, how hard it's been to believe this in, in my deepest, lowest moments of suffering. We had a matter of months where um, I thought I might lose my wife. We did lose Jenny's mom, and then we thought we might lose our son. And in those moments, it's, it's, it's hard, let me tell you, to, to trust that God has something in store for us, that, that He's actually trying to give us something that we most deeply need. And then this week, I've thought of um, some of what you're going through. But here's John, and he's telling us, Jesus loves you, and he wants to give you what you deeply need, and that's not always immediate relief of your suffering. But what you need to know is, is <laughs> when, when, it's, when it's not immediate relief of your suffering, that, that doesn't mean that he doesn't care about what you're going through. That's an important message. That, that's exactly what you see from Jesus' response from verse 28. This section, we see the, the compassion of Jesus. Jesus, he seems to exist in this paradox, doesn't he? Where, where he loves you so much that he's willing to, to stay put for two days. He's willing to, to let Lazarus die and Mary and Martha to grieve in order to give them what they most truly need, which is the revelation of God's glory in himself. But that, that doesn't mean that he, he doesn't care about their suffering. It doesn't mean that he's, he's numb to what you're going through, that he doesn't meet you in those sufferings and those sorrows. Because what we see is, is Martha, very Martha-like, rushes out to, to meet Jesus, but, but, and eventually Mary does the same, but they say, they both say the same thing. They say, oh, if only you were here sooner, our brother wouldn't have died. We'll come back to those exchanges in a minute, but firstly, look at his response to their grief and their sorrow in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to Jesus... And saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see and before they, even, before they even get there, verse 35 says, Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? In verse 38, then Jesus, he comes to the tomb, and again it says he's, he's deeply moved. Jesus is, is deeply moved and, and troubled, and he himself weeps. You notice twice it says he's, he's deeply moved, and it's important to understand what that Greek word means. It, it, it's, it's, John's not saying that he was very, very sad. No, that, that word actually means to be greatly agitated. He's expressing indignation. That, that word, it's like, it's like a, an angry horse that, that snorts. <sighs> 
You, you probably know s- some people who respond to suffering and death and say, well, that's life, right? That, 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 that's the, that we all die, it's the circle of life. And in some ways, that's true. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. We all will face our mortality. But that attitude of, of hey, it's life, Jesus vehemently disagrees with that sentiment. Like, Jesus believes more than anyone else that death does not have a place in this world. Death is not what we were created for. In Genesis 1, we were created for eternity. We were created to, to dwell in the presence of God without sin, without suffering, without death. We were not created to suffer and die. That's the result of sin. And Jesus here is angry at death. He is revolted by death. Jesus joins you in that cry that we've all cried before. This is not the way it's meant to be. And so, although there are times when He allows us to walk through that valley of of sorrow and death in order to, to give us what we need, which is the revelation of God in Himself, He still mourns and He weeps with us in our in our suffering. And you keep reading John's gospel, and you'll see very quickly that Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that He Himself is not willing to do. He he doesn't ask us to, to just trust God in our walk through suffering and not show us how He does it Himself. Because He Himself, as we've seen this past week, He is willing to walk through the deepest valley of suffering. His His valley of suffering was much deeper than ours. It was far darker because he didn't deserve it. Jesus lived a a sinless life, perfectly righteous, perfectly faithful, and yet he endured ultimate suffering, ultimate alienation, ultimate separation. He, He takes that on himself out of his love for us. He's this sympathetic high priest. He knows our sufferings. He, he, he's experienced them. He, he cares about our sufferings. He knows our sorrows intimately, and He has come to undo all of that. And He Himself, He has to trust in His Father's plan. He has to trust in His Father's will through His sufferings in order to give us what we most deeply need. He trusts God through that valley. He doesn't ask you to do anything that He doesn't do Himself. Jesus hates suffering and death. He, he deep, he's deeply troubled by it. He weeps over it. He sweats drops of blood because of it. But for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, He waits. He doesn't rush to their aid straight away. He stays put. I think He's, he's praying. I think he's, he's taking time with the Father. What's your will, Father? He allows... Lazarus to die, though. Four days later, he finally is with them, and Lazarus is really, really dead by now. Like, he's, he's, he's so dead, they're worried that, that when they roll back this, this, this tomb that it's going to stink. He, he's, his flesh is rotting by now. He's, he's rotting in that hot Middle, Middle Eastern sun. Why does he wait, though? Again, he waits because he loves them. And because He loves them, He wants to give them what they most deeply need, which is the revelation of God's glory in Himself. But what is that revelation in this moment? 
Well, we get what that is in his conversation with Martha in verses 17 to 27. Verse 17, Jesus is nearly at Bethany. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. The family are mourning. Many Jews from Jerusalem, only two miles away, are in Bethany. They're mourning with them. And Martha gets word that Jesus is coming. She rushes off to meet him. And she, she, she says to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you notice Jesus, he actually, the first thing he says is he gives her good news. He says, your brother will rise again. And Martha, being a good Jew herself, being uh, someone who, who believed that a Messiah would come and, and, and bring about this resurrection of God's people in, in the end, in these last days, that, that, that Messiah would usher in this, this new creation. That's what we're waiting for, right? And they believe that as well. But, but she didn't quite understand exactly who Jesus was here yet. And she says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last days. She says, I know, I know I'll see him again, but, but that doesn't seem to comfort her right now. Yeah, there's a resurrection coming far in the future. But then Jesus gives her a peek at this revelation of God's glory in himself. And he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, he totally surprises her here, doesn't he? That, that, that future hope that Martha is clinging to, that, that, that future resurrection, that, that future everlasting life that she longs for, Jesus takes that and he moves it up into the present. He says, that resurrection that you're hoping for, that you're waiting for, that life everlasting, it's not a future event. It's not a future time, it's a person that I am. That, that future bursts into the presence with the arrival of Jesus. And he says, that resurrection, that, that life, that new creation hope is found in me. Those things are found in me. He says, when you receive and experience them, when you believe in me. That word in, when he says, when you believe in me, that's very interesting. That the... The, the literal meaning to that word is, is towards or, or into. It has this kind of spatial aspect to it. And Jesus says, when you believe into me, or when you come into me, that's where you find resurrection in life. Eternal life is found when we are in Christ Jesus. Believing in him, you see, this the genuine faith in Christ, in the sense it brings people into Christ so that we can find rest in Him, so that we can become united with Him. You see, the story of the Bible is about God sending a person, a Savior, a Messiah, to undo the power of sin and death, and here He is, and He's revealing to Martha the glory of God in Himself, and He's saying, you find those things wherever I am. You experience them wherever you are in me. That, that glory is found, it's on offer in me and in me alone. And this, friends, is what Mary and Martha and Lazarus most deeply needed. They needed this more than anything else. This was their, their deepest need. They needed this more than they needed their brother to be alive. They, they needed the, this glory revealed to them. That's, this is Jesus meeting them in their deepest need. He moves that resurrection day forward 
to the present. And he, he does raise Lazarus from the dead. And why does he do that? Again, he does it to, to prove that he is who he is, who he says he is. He does it to, as, as evidence to give proof to this claim. That's what we talked about last week. He raised Lazarus from the dead as a sign, as proof, as evidence that he is, in fact, who he says he is. And now, on the other side of this, Lazarus is this living, breathing proof that Jesus is who he says he is, that, that he is, in fact, the resurrection and the life, the Messiah who has come to defeat sin and death. He has the, the power and the authority over that enemy. And the power of Christ, it's now so evident in Lazarus's life that the enemies consider him worth killing. But Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, it was a sign, which is the, the purpose of all the miracles. It's why they're called signs and wonders. The resurrection here was a sign. And what do signs do? They, they, they point us to something. They, 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 they're, 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 they're pointing us to something. And, and that's what Lazarus' resurrection is doing. It's pointing us to something greater. Like today is Resurrection Sunday, but we're not here celebrating Lazarus' resurrection. That, that was a sign. It was pointing to something greater, something truly worth celebrating and glorying in. Lazarus' resurrection, as impressive as it was, as good news as it was, as such evidence as it was to the power and the authority of Jesus, it's pointing forwards. And in the story here, it's, it's, it's not pointing that far forwards. It's pointing forwards a, a week or two when Jesus himself would make his way to the cross, when he would make his way to endure that death that he did not deserve, a death that you and I deserved. And this, this cross death, it's the, it's the climax of the plan that he and the Father made in eternity's past, that this plan for how he would come and undo that power of death. He would come and undo that, that separation between us and God. He'd come and he would bear the weight of the world's sins on the cross in order to, to take that penalty for us and in order to give us hope and deliverance. Right here at the cross, it's the, the culmination of that plan. And he makes his way to the cross, and he's slaughtered, and he dies. And then three days later, he rises from the dead. Hallelujah. And he raises from the dead in an even greater way than Lazarus, right? Lazarus' resurrection was a, a temporary one. He dies again. Jesus' resurrection is an eternal one. Lazarus comes out with his old body again that will one day break down again and die. Jesus comes out with a new, perfect one. He walks through walls. <laughs> he lives forever and ever. Lazarus comes out stumbling in his grave clothes, needs his friends to unwrap him. Jesus comes out, folds those up himself, and he's holding the keys to the grave. Sin and death are defeated. That's what we are celebrating today. Jesus is alive and he is resurrected in a much greater resurrection. But the Lazarus story is important. It's important because it shows us that Jesus weeps for us. That he's deeply troubled by our current situation. And he meets us in our sorrows. And he's come to give us exactly what we need most. He has a solution, but friends, sometimes that solution 
is not for him to rush off and immediately relieve us of our suffering. He has come into this world to, rele- to, re- uh, to reveal the glory of God in himself, and he wants us to see that he is the resurrection and the life. And he's asking you this morning, just like he asked Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? He asks Martha that before he raises her brother from the dead. I think that's important. It's hard. It's it's not easy. He's calling you to believe. He's calling you to trust him. He's asking you to have faith. Do you have faith in me? That I am who I say I am. That I am the resurrection and the life. N.T. Wright says, the resurrection is not a doctrine. It isn't a future fact. It's a person. And here he is, standing in front of Martha, calling her to believe. Calling her to make that that jump of trust and hope. He's he's challenging her to exchange her if only for an if Jesus. We all have if onlys, right? Oh, if only, if only this, if only that. If only Jesus was there to help. And he's challenging her to exchange that if only for an if Jesus. If Jesus is who he says he is. If Jesus is who Martha is coming to believe that he is. If Jesus is the Messiah, the one that was promised by the prophets, the one who has come into the world. If Jesus is God's own son, the one in whom the living God is now strangely and presently uh, revealed. If he is the resurrection in person, life come to life. See, it's this call to faith that the key to sharing in that new creation and that that resurrection and that life eternal is faith. Faith in Jesus. Faith in what he has accomplished on your behalf on the cross. Faith that he has indeed walked out of the tomb after being dead for three days. Faith that he has ascended to the Father in heaven. Faith that he is our sympathetic high priest, that he knows our sorrows, that he is now interceding on our behalf. Faith that he is indeed, even through our darkest moments, working to reveal the glory of God in himself, and he will bring us through. Do you believe in that? If you do believe in him, that resurrection and life is for you. And it's not what Lazarus experienced, which was a physical, temporary resurrection and life. Jesus is offering an eternal one. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has given us the solution for that even greater, more permanent death, that spiritual death. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So that spiritual death, it's not some future death that you you will endure. It's something that you are born into. We are all, by nature, because of our great-grandparents in that garden, marred by sin. And we are like Lazarus in the grave, rotting, dead, separate from Christ without any hope at all, and our only hope is for Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, to come along and say, come out of that grave. And Paul says, even while we were dead in our sins, we were made alive together with Christ. We are raised from the dead by God in Christ when we believe that Jesus who he sa- is who he says he is. And he is asking you again this morning, just like he asked Martha, do you believe in this?
Would you stand with me and we'll pray.